Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and let's take a look at part three of our latest and greatest on imaging the kidneys. And I mentioned before that uh, the most critical thing, of course, would be protocols. And let's take a look at what our protocols really are. Now, again, in terms of protocols, if radiation wasn't an issue, you might do four or five phases on every patient. But what we need to do is minimize the number of phases, yet maximize the information. So what do we do? Well, the first thing is, what about non-contrast CT? And I won't speak a lot about it, but I will mention non-contrast CT, of course, is something you need if you want to look for stones. Though I will admit, with arterial phase imaging, you can pick up nearly all stones. When non-contrast works best is if you have a lesion that's of high CT attenuation, and you could recognize this as a high-density renal cyst, it's easy to judge and make that diagnosis. In fact, now there's an article that says of a lesion's over a 70 or 90 Hounsfield units and it's homogeneous on non-contrast CT, greater than 99% chance it's a simple high-density renal cyst and no further study is necessary. So again, we'll talk about that and then we'll talk about the other phases. And let's talk first maybe about arterial phase, which is about 25 seconds post-injection and venous phase, 60 seconds or so post-start of injection, and delayed phase, which is four or five minutes, which is typically what we describe as CT urography. Now, you can do many ways of looking at the proper scan delay from bolus injection with uh, uh, timing, with uh, looking at peak enhancement, or using a preset trigger level, typically in the abdominal aorta. But for most cases with the kidneys, uniform delays work very nicely. And our typical protocols will include about 100 to 120 cc's of contrast, depending on patient size, injecting ideally at 4 cc's a second in the antecubital veins. Our contrast, Omnipeg 350 or Visi 320. Omnipeg 350 is our typical workhorse. Patients with borderline renal function, patients with diabetes, patients with any issues will go with Visipeg since it's a safer agent. Now, in terms of looking at the kidneys, I mentioned about non-contrast CT. With non-contrast CT, I don't really need the very thin uh, sections. I can get by with 3x3s, let's say. Probably get by 5x5s, but 3x3s work fine. And I'm only doing the 3x3s through the kidneys because I'm not looking for stone protocol. I'm not going to look and worry there's a stone distally. That's typically not the case unless I saw obstruction. But uh, we'll be able to see that a bit later anyway. Now, for cortical medullary phase imaging, what I've been doing is, if it's just really a focused kidney exam, I'll do just the kidneys. If it's hematuria, you're kind of stuck to doing the kidneys and the whole abdomen, or surely the bladder, because uh, we've shown now that subtle bladder cancers are vascular relative to bladder and urine and can stand out. So you may pick up those lesions, but only on the early phase imaging, particularly when they're small. Nephrographic phase imaging, depending on the situation, will either be just the kidney or kidney through uh, the base of the lungs, if you're tracking down a clot in the IVC and renal veins, further is necessary. And then excretory phase, we want to do CT urography, so typically that phase is routinely the entire kidneys, abdomen, and pelvis to get that CT urogram, get the bladder well distended. Now, again, in terms of nephrographic phase imaging, uh, you want to be very careful how you do it, and at times, you will be scanning the entire abdomen and pelvis, but those are significantly uncommon. So we're trying to target things better. Now, in terms of protocols, we go with the thinnest sections, thin as in. If you're on 16 slice, 0.75 millimeter thick sections, every 0.5 millimeters is typically what we do, and you can see that's true across all phases. And now it's 64 slice, where the detectors are 0.6, we're still going 0.75, there's less noise, and reconstructing a 0.5 into 
0.5 millimeter intervals and that works very nicely and you can see all of those typical protocols in your handout and of course on CTSS our protocols are all easily found. So let's now maybe dissect the kidney and let's start with the renal arteries. Uh, CT is excellent. CTA is just terrific for renal artery uh, anomalies, variations, and pathology. Multiple renal arteries are common. Uh, up to about a third of patients, uh, about 12% will even have them bilaterally. Uh, in terms of accuracy, there have been a number of articles written that CT is very accurate, particularly when you're looking at renal donors. It's basically one-to-one -one with surgery. A number of articles have shown that. Again, we know multiple arteries occur on the left in about up to one-third of patients and a bit less commonly on the right. Uh, bilateral multiple renal arteries, we have 15% of cases. We also talk about prehylar branching, which means within two centimeters of the origin of the renal artery. What's important about prehylar branching is you almost more than half the time will miss it on axial imaging, and that can be very important if you're doing laparoscopic harvesting for nephrectomy. And although we're basically 100% correct today, even in articles that were published as far back as the four-slice era, we had very, very high success rates. Of course, on this article by Dr. Kawamoto at Hopkins, at 16-slice CT, or this article probably also at 16-slice, MDCT enables highly accurate assessment of the renal anatomy in living donor candidates. There's no uh, doubt that's the, uh, the, the bottom line. Now in saying that, there's one other thing we should look at because it's not just looking at the axial images. If you want to be able to see the 3D, uh, the ability is there to visualize all the vessels more accurately. But it's not just the accuracy. This article found out that confidence level increased, but not only that, but it also would increase the speed of the user. So there was always a concern the users would go slower if you were doing 3D imaging but it actually saves radiologists time. And they concluded for focus assessment of renal vascular and urographic anatomy, the review of the 3D data sets alone provides high sensitivity and specificity regards the finding at surgery, which of course is the gold standard. And furthermore, 16 slice MDCT enabled excellent preoperative detection of arterial and venous anatomy for laparoscopic donor nephrectomy. And of course, if we could do it well at 16, you're only going to do it better at 64 or 128. Faster you scan, less motion, thinner sections, better resolution, but just a better study routinely. And here's an example. This was at the end of the 16 slice era. Dual phase MDCT combined with 3D imaging provides highly accurate depiction of preoperative donor anatomy. And that was from Hopkins. And again, the point being that the 3D mapping is just so critical. And let me just show you a couple examples. Here's just a case. Think about the right kidney, three renal arteries, the middle one branches into three. How do you describe that with just words? You can't describe it as well as one picture. And this one picture, whether it's volume rendering or MIP, shows you all of the right renal arteries. It tells the entire story. Or in this case, two renal arteries, again, MIP, volume rendering, same degree of accuracy in terms of detecting number of renal arteries, though in terms of cortical medullary interface, the volume rendered image is of course substantially better. And with volume rendering, as in this case, where you see the renal vein in the classic periodic position, same patient, MIP and volume rendering, image on your left is MIP. It's hard to really say what the issue is, but remember with projection, brightest structures are interior, so the aorta is almost always in front of the renal vein. 
at least conceptually. So image on your right is correct, renal vein in normal location. Image on your left makes it seem like it's retroaortic. Big problem with MIP. We've spoken about that before. In terms of multiple renal arteries, just good examples of how much better we've gotten. You look at the right kidney, there are three, and the left kidney are two, but they're reasonable sized vessels, not too difficult. But with 64 slice, look at the vessels we're picking up. That's a one millimeter branch vessel, upper pole, left kidney. That vessel could lead to infarction if you cut that vessel. So again, very easy to recognize on these examples, but even the smallest of structures. And the faster we scan, the higher the resolution scanner, the more we're gonna see these small vessels. The point about MIP versus volume rendering, I'll just show you one example. If you look at the patient's three left renal arteries, on the MIP image, it seems like the lowest renal artery is coming off the lateral aspect of the uh, iliac artery, while in truth it's coming more medial. Again, projection techniques will confuse you. When you're giving the clinician information, give them the volume images or give them the images that are absolutely correct or marked. You can make terrible mistakes otherwise. In terms of renal artery stenosis, CT indeed is very good. Even at four slice, here's a good example of, of non-calcified plaque with about a 50% stenosis, volume rendering, and MIP. And here it is again, sort of side by side. Here's a patient with hematuria, where we've been able to scan the patient. And now you're looking at the patient's renal artery stenosis on the left. And one point we do make is since we're doing so much CT angiography these days, whether it's a pancreas or kidney or aorta or liver, you really have to look at the renal arteries because it's not uncommon for them to be stenotic, even though at that time there's no clinical symptoms of that. And here's just a good example. This was a pancreatic study, but look at the proximal left renal artery. There's definitely stenosis present. And again, MIP versus volume rendering, regardless, we can see it very nicely. Here's a great case. Uh, patient's left kidney is not as enhancing as the right. There's a little bit of a stranding around the kidney. There's some irregularity. And look what happens when you get down to the 3D map. The more anterior or superior renal artery, as it gets to the hilum, is irregular. It's shaggy. It's definitely abnormal. Uh, this patient has a vasculite. It's just a beautiful example. Compare the two renal arteries side by side. Upper one, issues, vasculitis, lower one, looks great. So again, something that's very easy to recognize. I mentioned before about volume rendering versus MIP. Again, volume rendering, big advantages, particularly in soft tissue imaging. Often there's no need to do editing unless you want to, while MIP requires substantial editing. And again, you need to be very, very careful uh, because unless you get, uh, uh, you know, unless you kind of really focus on how to do the studies, you're gonna have issues. Now, in terms of patient acceptance, there's no surprise that CT angiography works best because for patients, it's much easier to do. And let me just show you a, a couple other comments about uh, renal arteries. Um, if you're doing renal artery stenosis, if you look, you know, you can use MIP and volume rendering. If you're doing stents, if you use MIP and volume rendering, as in this case, you'll see the stent very well, but you're not gonna be able to look inside the stent. So you need to use curved planar reconstruction. You get down right on the stent. You can see it very nicely. There's no issue. Okay, very good accuracy. Another comment about renal arteries, FMD, fibromuscular dysplasia, goes by many names. 
The classic thing is a string of beads appearance. There are multiple appearances that can occur from aneurysms to thrombosis to occlusion. But I'll just show you this example very nicely, the string of beads appearance, right renal artery. Another patient, look at the patient's right renal artery. You can see the, the uh, string of beads appearance, very, very classic appearance. So again, it's something that we do very well. In terms of renal arteries, what else? Renal artery aneurysms, about 1% of angiograms, up to the second or third most common visceral artery aneurysm, more common in females, can be secondary to trauma or degenerative disease, vasculitis, or FMD. Now, some facts. Uh, most patients are asymptomatic, though others can present with hypertension, aneurysm rupture, hematuria, or arterial thrombosis. Typically, if it's over two centimeters, you're going to consider surgical resection. Other factors, of course, will be age and many of those other uh, looking at the patient's risk factors. Treatment options run from embolization to stent placement to surgery. And here's just a couple examples. Incidental renal artery aneurysms on the left and on the right. Again, bilateral aneurysms. Very nice focal outpouching. So again, very easy to see those renal artery aneurysms. Here's another one. I think sometimes you can overlook them on the axial view, but you're not going to overlook them on the 3D view. Here's the same patient 3D view with MIP. And here's another series of four aneurysms. You can see here some aneurysms calcify, some calcify in their entirety, some calcify in part, but there's a range of appearances. I'll also mention uh, pseudoaneurysms. This patient was in a sledding accident. Here's a pseudoaneurysm, very nicely defined with volume rendering and with MIP. So again, a very, very important application. So that kind of covers the arteries in many ways. What about the veins? And the veins also have variations in anatomy, but why don't we take a break and let's pick it up from right here later. Thanks a lot.